Back in the 70s, board games and improv theater had a baby, and it was called the role-playing game. These games allowed a generation of kids to live out their dreams of slaying dragons and saving kingdoms, all while sitting in their bedrooms and basements. Today, gaming has moved into the cultural mainstream, and role-playing games are back with a vengeance. Join us now as five of these former kids come out of the basement and onto the internet to experience adventure, mystery, and obscure pop culture references. It's time for Roll for Combat. Hey everyone, welcome to Roll for Combat. I'm your GM and host, Stephen Glicker, and in this week's special episode, I sit down with Paizo developer Jason Keeley and discuss the brand new adventure, Eulogy for Roshler's Coffer, the second book in the Tyrant's Grasp adventure path. In addition, we also talk about the process for developing adventures for Paizo, and we talk a little bit about what's coming in the future, both for the Starfinder Adventure Pass series, as well as Pathfinder version 2. So much like my interview with Ron Lundin last month, the first part of this interview, we just talk about general items, about like how he writes adventure paths, how he develops adventure paths, and things like that. And then the second part of the interview, about 20 minutes and 45 seconds in, we go into the adventure in detail and talk about spoilers galore. Because I know there's a lot of people out there who will probably, unfortunately, never run this adventure or never get to play it, but they still want to know what it's all about in case you want to read it. And I do strongly suggest a lot of you go out and get these adventures because Tyrant's Grasp is sort of an earth-shatteringly big adventure path, and they're changing up the world of Galarian quite a bit for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. In this adventure, without giving spoilers away, some big things actually start to happen, and you can start seeing like the wheels turning. And I believe in the third book, things are going to really start exploding, and you're going to start seeing changes to Galarian. Also, for those of you who listen to the Dead Sons Adventure Path, we just talk about him being on the show a lot. As you know, Jason's a friend of the show. He's been on the show many times. Him and Rob Tomarco play these two bumbling detectives that had started off on the show about a year ago. They just showed up in the last two weeks of episodes, and I'm going to definitely have them on the show again in the future, sort of to wrap it up. Call it the Laszlo and Meets Trilogy, where they keep peering in weird locations where they really shouldn't be, because my guys are in the middle of absolutely nowhere on this Dead Sun's Adventure Path fighting for their lives, and then these two bumbling detectives just keep appearing out of nowhere. And I'm definitely going to have them come on the show one last time. Anyhow, with that, let's get to my interview with Jason Keeley. Hey everyone, I got a special guest. Someone who's been on the show so much, he might as well be part of Roll for Combat. Jason Keeley. Developer at Paizo Extraordinaire. I put that little extra title on there just for you. So if you want to change your business card. Thank you. I'll I'll, I'll get right on it. So we have a lot to talk about, but we're going to talk about your brand new adventure path. The one that has been very good so far, uh, only up to book two, but Eulogy for Rochelar's Coffer, which just came out. It's the second book of Tyrant's Grasp which is an earth-shattering adventure path that everyone should at least read, even if you're not going to run it, because things that happen in this adventure path will lead 
directly in the Pathfinder 2nd Edition, from what I've heard from Mr. Eric Moda himself. So there's a lot of big events going on, and I'm starting to see some of them in this book, which we'll allude to later in the spoiler section. Mr. Jason, first thing, is it Rochlars or Rochlars or Ro- Rosalind? Like, how do you pronounce it again, you were saying? I see you've been putting, a, you put a little bit of, like, Eastern European uh, f- flair on that. Uh, we've just been pronouncing it Rosalar at, at, the, at the office. I prefer Rochlars. Go for it. It's important to say that because, do you know, back in the day, back in the 80s, people were pronouncing data as data. Do you remember that when we were kids? People used to say data. Sure. But then yeah. on Star Trek, The Next Generation, Patrick Stewart himself decided that he's going to call him instead of data. He will say data. And because of him, everyone in the rest of the world now says data instead of data because of that. That's cool. There's that one scene where uh, Dr. Pulaski is mispronouncing it. And he's like, Data's like, that's not my name. My name is Data. And she's like, what's the difference? He's, he's like, one is my name and the other is not. That's, exa- that's exactly right. So here we go. I'm going to call it Rochlar's coffer. Therefore, usurping what Paizo has been calling it. So from now well, on, luckily, the name. Luckily, the eponymous Rochlar is, is dead. So he can't object to you mispronouncing the name of his uh, city. What? I'm not mispronouncing it. You're mispronouncing it. I'm pronouncing it correctly. (laughs) Well, you're the author, so I guess whatever you say goes. Let's talk about this adventure path. And we'll do what we did last time when I talked about the first book with Ron, is that the first half we'll just talk about generalities and like writing it and all the fun things that goes along with making an adventure path. And then the second part, we're going to talk about these specific events because this is a crazy adventure. I really like this one a lot. I was reading this. I got to run this. I'm going to have to convert this to second edition because this is a cool-ass adventure. Thank you very much. So what is the story so far in generalities that I'm sure you can say that much? Sure. I mean, I think uh, it's no spoiler that the PCs start the adventure path uh, with Ron's adventure dead and in the boneyard. And then they've got to get their way out of it. So, and it, it's probably no surprise that they managed to get their way from the boneyard back to the material plane at, by the end of the first adventure. And that's where the second adventure uh, begins. I was going to say, and the, the name of the title of the adventure kind of spoils it a little where they end up, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, if, you, uh, if you've read through or played through the first one, you realize that that's where they uh, started, the, this small town called Rosslar's Coffer. Um, and, um, I think they probably learn a little bit about who Rosslar is and stuff like that in the first adventure. Uh, but then, you know, you end up here. This is where you were basically, uh, as the PCs, you were killed. So I want to ask, when you're writing these adventure paths, because you do development for Starfinder adventure paths, when you're writing something like this, I've, I just wanted to know, how do you do the actual structure? Because there's like four parts to it, and each part is sort of like a mini-adventure. Yours actually goes in pretty different directions. It's not very, it's not straightforward. It actually goes in rather unique directions. You know, some of it is a dungeon crawl, but some of it is mini adventures. Some of it is walking around like a general area and then, and like bumping into people and going on mini quests. Like, how do you actually structure these adventures? Do you, do you put together the outline ahead of time and give it to your editor? Do you just do whatever you want? Like, how much do you actually coordinate with your editor when you decide 
this is how I'm going to structure the adventure and make the, um, you know, get the characters from point A to B to C to D. Yeah, well, uh, there's a g- general outline for the entire adventure path that the developers uh, come up with. Uh, Crystal Fraser actually uh, wrote the main outline for this, all, all of it. And each of those has a, has a very brief sort of outline for each specific adventure. So you know where it begins and you kind of know where it ends. And then there's a kind of a, a middle. There might be some bits that, uh, uh, say, Crystal would want, oh, I want to see you, uh, you know, have this fight or have, you know, this particular um, NPC show up, that kind of thing. Um, so from that general outline, I write a very more, a much more specific outline with uh, uh, encounters uh, here. You know, these encounters are going to take place in the, uh, this is going to be how the PCs get from point A to point B. Um, so that, that, that is the sort of, in a weird way, the bulk of the, almost the heavy lifting of the adventure writing is just sort of plotting it out from, from beginning to end. Uh, and then I, I, I showed that to Crystal uh, before she left. Uh, she gave me a thumbs up and I started writing it. And that's just sort of then becomes a sort of coloring in the details. So in this case, there's four chapters or sections. You outlined each section. Like I say, okay, this section, they're going to be. And again, this is the mild, not, not spoilers, but mild spoilers. Like the first section is them kind of wandering around the town. And there's lots of vignettes and mini adventures before they can get to the next section. So you know, did you decide, oh, they really have to wander around the town. There's nothing here linear. So we're going to have to make this kind of a nonlinear part. And then part two could be a little bit more linear. Like, did you decide that that was the general structure you wanted to take? Did you meet with, you know, Crystal about that? Like, how do you decide? Right. Yeah. I think the, the, the general outline that Crystal gave me was like, they start in the town, they've got to work their way to figuring out. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure how, how much spoiler you want to get, but this town is, is, is cut off from the rest of the world. Uh, when you get there so it's all about figuring out how to how to get out of there so if there were no if the town weren't cut off this particular adventure would be like hey you get to Roswell's coffer and then you leave and go do something else so the the title wouldn't make any sense that you know the whole the whole arc of the adventure just would be going somewhere to another place because you've learned some information i think at this point or at least uh maybe you have I mean, you've come back from the dead essentially and you maybe want to go tell people that but you know you need to, we need to have this particular uh adventure happened before you went ahead and did that, which is going to be what happens, I think, in the third volume. And then obviously the difference between this and Starfinder, and you run the Starfinder adventure paths, there's a significant difference in level because I was I'm like reading this. I was like, oh, man, what's going on? They're eighth level by the end of the second book. While in Starfinder, you'd have to be up to like book four before you got to eighth level. Obviously quite a big difference so how does that translate to number of encounters and just the size of the books? I know the Starfinder Adventure Paths are much smaller, but did the Starfinder Adventure Paths normally just have three sections instead of four? Like, what really makes them different? Yeah, the adventures are about a dozen or so pages shorter in the Starfinder Adventure Paths. So we can't fit in as many encounters, which means you don't get up to as high of a level per book. So that's basically that's the the. the that's it in a nutshell. Basically, we just you know just room. But also, Starfinder doesn't that use fast advancement, while Pathfinder obviously uses medium advancement. So in generality, you have more encounters just because of the advancement tracks. Uh, I think yeah, we have a different uh, advancement. We have a different set of numbers essentially. And I don't know if it's necessarily fast, but it's 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 a different set of numbers. But the the XP is it's close. It's pretty close. So if you go from level you know three to four, it takes about the same amount of XP generally speaking. 
So how long did it take you to actually write this adventure? I'm just curious, because I've been writing monsters, which are these itty bitty little things. And boy, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to write these little monsters because you got to fit a lot into 500, 600 words. Meanwhile, you have like, what, 40,000 words here? Something insane. You got like almost a half of a book here. So yeah, indeed. So how, how, how much time do you need when you write one of these? Uh, this one kind of was a little um, fast tracked. Uh, when after the main outline was done, I sort of was like, I want I was talking to Chris. She she asked around the the office who wants to write for this final AP, and I was like, Oh yeah, I'll do that. Uh, let me see what what I got when my schedule. And some people had already claimed, like say books four and books five, and so it was either book two, book three, or book six. Uh, and uh, that would have given me book six would have given me a lot more lead time. But uh, we were sort of talking with some of the other people uh some of the other authors and they were like oh i you know i can really only do book six okay so i'll take and between book two and three this book was the most interesting but that meant i had only like six weeks eight weeks to write it um so you know at that point i just sit down and 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 uh often what i try to do is get uh at least 1000 words a day and that's you know even during the weekdays after i've been to work and come home sit down write a thousand words i'll generally what I'll, what, I'll, what ends up happening is i'll write maybe like Maybe not quite a thousand words on the weekdays, but then weekends, just got to sit down several hours, write words. Wow. That's a lot of right. I mean, you did this in six weeks because I don't know if it's my imagination, but this seems like a very, I just, I guess just because the adventure goes in a lot of directions, it's linear, but it's not very linear in the sense that you, you mix up a lot of things, which I'll get into the spoiler section. And it felt like some adventures you read and you feel like they're small adventures, even though they're the exact same size as every other adventure pass. And some you feel like, wow, they just went through and did like 20 different things. And yours feels like one of those where it felt like they just kept doing different activities and going to different locations. And just a lot happens in a small amount of time. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking a look at my uh, turnover. It's really only 32,000 words. It's not, that's nothing. <laughs> that's nothing. 32,000 words. You can do that in a weekend, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Return of the Rune Lords adventure that I wrote, uh, which came out just like only like six or seven months ago, uh, was way bigger. It was like 45,000 words or something like that. And that was the first Pathfinder adventure path that I'd ever gotten to write. And it was kind of uh, kind of daunting. After that, this one was actually a little easier. <laughs> what about the monsters? Because, boy, the monsters in this are complex. I mean, do you just write the adventure, put together the encounters, and then work on the monsters last? Because the monsters alone, especially for Pathfinder version 1, they are a pain. <laughs> they, they they take a lot of work <laughs> to make those monsters. Especially the the characters, the NPC characters, which you have a lot of in this. It's it's there. There's pages of these guys. I'm just looking at those stat blocks that I'm in now that I'm making monsters for you guys professional. I'm like, this was horrible. This is a total nightmare. But I have to write these monsters. Yeah, that's crazy. I actually do this generally do the stat blocks first, uh, just so I know what they can do, and then I can write around that. And um, for at least Pathfinder, uh, I I use Hero Lab to make stat blocks. It makes things easy. There's a lot of the math I can decide you know how many what kind of books i want to you know use and choose from of course you use hero lab because why why would you use anything especially for pathfinder it is impossible and i imagine you have to decide which books you even choose from because in this adventure path you use a lot of arcane rules that you even have to explain in the adventure path just because some of them aren't necessarily rules that people have ever seen before but they are part of the core rule books although it might be one of the more ancillary books yeah, yeah, we definitely try to keep it. I mean, uh, there's often, you know, like five, six 
people writing a single uh, volume here with the stuff in the back. Um, and we all, it's going to be up to the developer to decide, oh my gosh, we've used nine books in this. Uh, that Maybe that's too much. Maybe that's fine. But as, when I write an adventure, I really try to keep it as maybe only two or three extra books. Uh, that's not counting all the best Jerry's. I get to, I'll pick from all the best Jerry's, but like in terms of extra rules for, for NPCs like feats and, and spells, I try to keep it as core as possible. So which do you prefer writing the adventure path adventures or the society adventures? Cause I know you've done several of those for Starfinder, some of the most beloved Starfinder adventures, as uh, you well know. Thank you. I've done some pathfinder, uh, PFS scenarios as well. Those are not um, beloved though. They're not as beloved. No, I think I got yelled at. Really? No, I think at one point, uh, and not quite yelled at, but it was like, yeah, but... uh, someone was running it and like, why did you choose mayonnaise? They're insane. I'm like, yeah, they are. That's the point. I think I've, I think I've been responsible for some, some player deaths in those, in those instances. But why are you getting yelled at? Isn't that your job? I don't know. That's my job. Exactly. I'm sitting here writing. I'm trying to think of how can I kill PCs in ways they don't expect. And that's it's fair. Not quite, that's fair. It's not quite yelled at. I guess, I guess just got my, my, my choices were questioned, I guess. And I was like, those are the right CR for what I needed. And also they seem to fit thematically. So that's why I use them. I didn't think about their, any of their abilities. Just blame the editors. Just blame John Compton or, you know, just, just blame, just blame them. It's not your fault. You, you turned it in. They're the ones that approved it, right? I mean, a little bit. Uh, John, uh, for my other, the other Pathfinder adventure uh, scenario that I wrote, um, does do a thing where it's the verbal duel rules, but both sides are trying to lose it got very confusing, and I'm not sure why he let me keep that in. <laughs> in. So this is a fun interview because I realized, you know, in a weird way, you are kind of my boss because I'm writing monsters for you. So this is this is unique. I, you can actually yell at me, Jason, if you feel if you feel like you must sometime during this interview. Please do. I have nothing to yell at you at yet. For oh, okay, yet, yet, yet. Well, the monsters aren't due for another week, so I, I got a little bit of time. Exactly. There you go. So when I'm late, I'm not late. I'm never late. I'm always early. I actually was bugging you months ago, and you said stop because you don't even look at them until, until it's the deadline time. Anyhow, right? Yeah, exactly. I don't. Yeah, because I'm doing the things that have happened. You know, deadlines of uh, stuff have gotten turned over months ago. So there you go. There's a there's a secret to your success or a secret for freelancers out there. Don't turn in things early because it doesn't matter. There you go. And don't turn them in late either. And don't turn them in late. Well, that they don't like. They don't like when you turn in late. But early, eh, doesn't matter. It's just going to sit in the inbox until, the, until if, they're, until they're you, ready to see it. If you're going to be late, please let us know why. And we generally give you some leeway there. Actually, with that, because I haven't done adventures for you, how does it work for uh, new people if they wanted to start writing adventures for for you or if they wanted to start doing adventure paths or not just adventure paths, but even like the society adventure since you help run all that. Uh, yeah, well the society adventures, you know, you want to be uh, maybe contacting John or uh, Thurston Hillman. Um, and in general, what we like is have some people who are, um, have some experience doing some other things, maybe writing a monster or two for the adventure path, for instance, or something that's for a third party product. Um, we like to see if you make sure that you uh, have have done things before and uh, can maybe you know meet the the exacting standards of uh, Paizo's uh, freelancers. Um, and from there, you just it takes time often because we only have so many things to assign, and we have a lot of people who want to write for us um, to get up to maybe you know a full adventure path volume, or, but or 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 a society scenario. I I, I literally think that the um, an adventure path 
adventure and the society center are just as difficult. They're, they're, they're equally as difficult. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that you need to have written a society scenario to have written an adventure path volume for me. Um, but I do like to, if you have, I'd like, I, you know, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to read it and I'm going to see if I like it. With that, I want to get into spoilers. We talked a lot about general adventure paths and we talked as much as we could, because it's hard to talk about the second adventure path volume without getting into spoilers. Heck, even just the title is kind of a spoiler. So for those of you who are actually running it or plan on reading it or plan on running it, come back in about 20 minutes or so. But for now, let's get into the meat, shall we? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. So first of all, I have to say, I'm noticing a pattern with your adventures now that I've read several of them is that they're very non-traditional. You are very Richard Pet-like, which is a huge compliment. And that is awesome because you had so many things in this adventure that was not, I don't know, you would say, I wouldn't say normal, but not standard. Like, let's just, I have a huge list here. We'll go through some of them and then you can talk to each one. Teaching ghost children. That was fun. Tell me about that one. <laughs> that one was fun. It, it, it when you get into Rosler's Coffer, it's all messed up from uh, being at the center of a, an essentially a magical nuclear explosion. Um, so uh, I wanted to throw in a bunch of weird ghosts and, and haunts, but not quite the same. Not not the full basic haunt stat block that Pathfinder has. I wanted to do some other weird things uh, because they're not really ghosts. Because you meet, you could meet those people in in the boneyard, right? Uh, I didn't want to have to step on like, who's dead and who isn't? Everyone died, but most of them ended up in the boneyard because you kind of have to do that in the first adventure. Um, So these spirits are sort of almost like just echoes of the people who live there. Um, And the, uh, uh, I don't know if you're going to get this, but basically there is a a loci spirit who is essentially the town itself. uh, And it basically charges you with fixing some things that are going on, such as, hey, you know, there's some, 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 some echoes of people who don't know they're really dead yet. So go help them out. And one of them is a bunch of, is a, is a, is a school, ch- a, a little schoolhouse full of uh, ghost children um, who get all rowdy and whatnot. But the fun part about this encounter, in my opinion, is that they glow and they give off enough light to hide the actual monsters, which I think are shining children uh, and which who are invisible in light. So uh, they are attacking you, but you also have the, if you can calm the kids, the, the ghost kids down, they stop, shining so much and then you can actually maybe see the things that are attacking you which i thought was a neat little yeah. weird thing yeah 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 i'm looking at it i forgot yeah the lurkers and light so lurkers and light. that's right all right there's all these ghost children that are glowing and misbehaving and you have to calm them down and get them to listen to you so that they would stop glowing so you can kill the monsters that are also lurking in the school it's very memorable it's really cool it's something i haven't seen before it's just like it's 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 great. I read that. I was like, first of all, it takes a lot of gall to have dead ghost children in a schoolyard and then or a schoolroom, so it's a classroom, and then you have to calm them down. That is that 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 takes some cojones. I'm surprised you actually. I'll get to it later. You also have baby eating in here, but that's that's much later. <laughs> I have baby eating. Wait, where do I put that? Oh, there's baby eating. There's baby eating. It literally says a plump baby. You actually have that in here. Oh, maybe boy. We'll get to that now. Oh, yeah. Or maybe Crystal added that without your knowledge. Hold on. I'll look at what page that is. 47. It's the uh, Pukwudgie. Oh, right. Yeah. The Pukwudgies, they eat babies. Oh, this is sort of their, this is this person's backstory. True. 
True, but you so, actually you know, there's no to... dead babies in the adventure, but it's, it's no, no, it's a backstory. But you actually put in here that uh, that they found a plump baby from a farmer. Yes, well, puckwudgies eat babies. I didn't, I didn't create that back. I didn't create that uh, mythology. Yes, I know, but it was still stunning to see it in there. I was like, you know what? I give him credit. He's going there. He's making this. Uh, this is some adventure. Back to this backstory. If someone didn't listen to the first adventure interview this entire town is killed like everyone in the town is dead nothing survives including the pcs who are in the town and died and then they go to the afterlife and the first adventure is them coming back from the afterlife and now show up in rochelar's coffer and have to figure out what the heck is going on but they can't get out because it's covered in a poison gas cloud as one would do to keep people inside it's kind of like the dome like Stephen King's The Dome. Yeah, right? it's got a little bit of that going. And this is actually more to keep people out because uh, the the main villain of the of this particular adventure is studying the effects of this giant explosion that's killed everybody and, uh, and sort of raised some, some various undead and some mutant creatures and stuff like that. So they're studying it. They keep want to keep other people from getting in and messing up their study, so they just put a giant poison dome. Why not? So we also have the PCs doing gardening. Come on, man. Gardening? You got to talk. And this is great. Gardening. You're teaching children. You're gardening. And you have entire rules on here of how to make the garden nice. It's genius. Sure. I love it. There, you know, there, this, uh, a lot of this um, adventure path had a, had a possibility of being, hey, fighting undead at the time. So uh, uh, as part of the main outline, uh, Crystal was like, don't try to throw some other things in there. So I, I thought I was trying to think of some non-combat encounters that you could have. Uh, and there's some non-undead creatures that you fight, like a Pukwudgie, who's undead, who's related to undead, who, who, who you know, uh, not undead themselves, but, like, hang around undead people. So I was like, oh, yeah, she'd be a fun lieutenant to have in there. Um, and, yeah, basically this uh, and this, 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 this gardening section. Have, has gardening ever been in Pathfinder before? I'm sure it has. I mean, you have leshies, and you have to grow them. True. There's That's a whole, true, yeah. Leshies. I forgot about them. Yeah, but here it's cool because you have to use all your ability points to make the garden pretty. Your skill points, I meant. I, I, I like it. I just like that these people, first they're, they're, they're yelling at kids, now they're gardening, and then they have to go to a jewelry shop and arrange the merchandise. Is there uh, is there any fighting in this? Or is they just... Uh, are they oh, just there's like, plenty of fighting. Oh, okay. <laughs> just checking because I can see them starting off all ready to go, all gearing to go. And it's like, we are literally making the town pretty. We are literally well, before all that out. happens. You fight a couple weeds. You uh, get attacked by some zombie elk. It's all, it's all fun. There's fighting. Oh, I forgot about the zombie elk. Those were cool too. Those almost any other adventure. I think those were cool, but those are, those are like, uh, like 12th in the list of coolness for this adventure. <laughs> Yeah, so the uh, the jewelry shop was just I I couldn't help myself. I put a logic puzzle in the game from my uh, previous job writing puzzles, and um, it's it's you you know you just to help this 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 baffled ghost, um, you solve a logic puzzle by arranging some jewelry. Yeah, and this is the second one where it has a has a puzzle, and you had to have a subsection that said, "Hey, if you don't want to do the puzzle, this is how you have to solve it." Because Ron did the same thing in his adventure. I like that. I like these puzzles and non traditional uh, game elements. Cool. Yeah, 
Um, <laughs> me too. Uh, but again, as always, not everyone likes them, which is why we, we, we put in that sidebar. And then you also have an undead gang. Tell me about them. Cause that was really cool. I just like how they're, they all have their own personalities and they're all different. And you just wanted to, uh, amazing amount of detail for, for creatures that might die in two rounds or three rounds of combat, but there's quite a bit of backstory for these three undead. Yeah, I just felt like they were doing weird things with the uh, templates, like you know, animus shades and skeletal champions, and 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 deciding that oh, the, these particular undead people just need some need a little extra personality. Uh, so I had to give them names, and once I give them names, I, I have to give them backstory at that point. And what were their backstory? Uh, this is actually just three uh, small time small time criminals who uh, moved to Rosler's Coffer before it was destroyed to just think, oh yeah, this small town, we'll be able to uh, we'll be able to run roughshod. We'll become the biggest gang there is in the town. And they failed at that. They're just bad at their job of of being bad. <laughs> uh, and uh, when they died, they were like, all right, yeah, now cool. We're now we're undead. We're gonna we're gonna do even more cool undead stuff. But they end up just bickering with each other because they're they're. They're goofuses. They're just three dum-dums who uh, just are basically in the PC's way at this point. Oh, and I forgot to mention that you actually revisit Roshlar's tomb. And I love, I love adventures where you do this. And the first adventure, they were in Roshlar's tomb. They were in Roshlar's tomb in the Boneyard. And now they're in it again, but it's completely different because this is the actual tomb. So it's familiar, but not familiar. But I do like it a lot whenever Paizo does adventures where you either travel through time, like the special, the Pathfinder special a couple of years ago, or you have a tomb that you revisit and the tomb changes as you level up. And I like how you come back to it. And this time it's the actual tomb and it's a complete mess. It's desecrated. Half of it's collapsed. And it's just it's it's the same, but totally different. Yeah, yeah, that was part of the that was actually part of the the main outline that Crystal gave me. It was like, we're gonna go back, and you can just use that kind of tweak the map a little bit. So I had to get the map from Ron, and then I just flipped it horizontally, so it it has a different facing, so that makes it feel slightly different. And then change the order in which you went through the rooms, uh, because you have to you basically have to go through this tomb again to get to a secret passage that'll lead under the poison dome to help you get to the place where you can. Uh, uh, turn off the magic item that is creating the poison dome. And that was real fun. And then you have another monster in here, which sounds like something I would write because it's so horrific. Exploding zombie spore insect. What the heck, man? That's just a... I mean, it's basically the... It, it's kind of the, 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 the creature from Mimic. Exactly. It's the, it's the walking cockroach that looks like a human, a man and you made it and it's also dead it's also dead and you made it a zombie that has spores that can explode it's again uh, i wanted to switch up the kind of undead you faced because otherwise it's just you know more zombies or more ghouls and i was like yeah let's get i had uh uh, crystal gave me a good list of like possible uh stuff that was around this level um and i uh just basically poured through and kind of used one of everything yeah you have great ones you have the vampire mists in here you have living walls. I love living walls. It's like <laughs> it's the walls are attacking me. Help! Help! I love it. It's like you're just walking around, 
the walls come alive and start. How does a living wall attack? The the graphic in the monster manual, sorry, in the beastery is not that great. I can't figure it out. They just fall on you. They grapple you. What do they do? They squish you. They just kind of move and just just bash you with their wallness. Oh, it's kind of like the guys in Super Mario. So they don't, yeah, they don't quite fall on you like a thwomp, but they, they. I think I was just picturing them just essentially like, um, like a crushing walls kind of trap, and they just kind of move in and try to squish you between them, very slowly though. And then you even have was this you or Crystal? One of my favorite monsters from D and D first edition, Rot Grub. But th- that is what, by the way, one of the most horrific burned in your brain images ever of the guy with his arm out and the rot grubs going through his arm burrowing as you know it goes into you and then can kill you by getting to your brain you have a rot grub swarm i love it i love it just be just be thankful i didn't use the giant rot grub oh that that would have been why not yeah i think it was the wrong cr <laughs> oh no, it is actually probably but a rot grub swarm again these are just gross horrible things you're just putting in everything horrible into this adventure sure so they even get to do some pretty cool things in here things that you never ever get to see they get to destroy an artifact many times you get to find an artifact never do you get to destroy an artifact a minor artifact but still how hard is it to find and then absolutely destroy artifacts artifacts are not meant to be destroyed well that's the point of the like third half of the adventure there that's third half the third part of the adventure uh is uh you know getting this thing uh that's called the fettering maw that that name was from crystal it's a great name it's this gem that's causing the uh the uh, the poison dome to exist and uh, unfortunately you can't just pick it up and use it say hey jim stop stop it um it's protected by some wards so you've got to get the wards down and then once you have gotten it you you, you can only way to turn off the poison walls to destroy it and so you've got to do research to figure out how to destroy it and all that stuff yeah, it's fun stuff but that's what I was going to get to is that you actually have one of the rules in here. I love this rule. I've seen it in a few adventure paths and hopefully it even survived to second edition is the research check for the library. I really enjoy that mechanic a lot. And I was really happy to see that in here is where it's like, you know, researching, you just don't roll and get things. You actually have to attack the library like you would a monster and get down the knowledge points so that you, the more you research, the more time you spend, the uh, more you learn until you eventually figure out how to destroy the artifact. I, I, I always enjoy the library. I think the specifics of the library being in there is uh, is up to Ron, who it, who was the one who actually developed this, because uh, Crystal had left by the time I turned it in. <laughs> but but yeah, he's like, I put a library. I was like, cool, I love libraries. I just was for some reason, because I, I, I was doing all this other stuff with the adventure uh, when I was writing it with you know puzzles and, and, and other things. I, did, I, thought, I thought it might be too occult rituals and stuff like that i thought adding a library mechanic in there again would be maybe a little too much but it seems to work and i love it and then you have because it just keeps going another mechanic i love if you really went you went crazy in this juju zombies that are actually the pcs when they died turned back into zombies so then they fight themselves in zombie form yeah that was a lot of fun I think the the whole thing about it is like the PCs died, but their bodies, I don't know, because of crazy metaphysical stuff that happened, uh, they the PCs' bodies were recreated in the boneyard after they died physically. So they're physically there in the boneyard, they're not just ghosts. Uh, but their, fur, their regular bodies were dead. And then the bad guy of this 
uh, uh, venture de- decided to uh, you know raise them up as sort of like playthings. Uh, and at the, uh, the you know the final combat is you running into them and like oh oh what ah. And I had to, a lot of a good a, a, a fun time writing the um, the conversation you get to have with the the bad guy about hey you turned us our bodies into zombies what the what the f yeah well, do you think it's too much I mean I loved the conversation I actually thought the conversation was really well written but do you feel like it's almost monologuing like you know obviously it's really hard to get this information across to to PCs without having the the bad guys go into these long monologues. You know, not just as an adventure writer, but as someone who now manages the adventures. Like, I mean, it's, it's just not really good ways to get that over to PCs. You know, it's especially because it's not like a TV or movie or a book where you can cut and show it from the monster's angle. You have to show it from the PC's point of view. So you have to have a monologue in there so that you can move the story along, right? A lot of the times, yeah, the, the NPCs have important knowledge. And the PCs, I, I feel like a lot of players want to know these things. So if you give them a little bit of like indication that uh oh no you know like oh please let's not fight right away let's let's have a quick you know let i'm sure you have questions and I'm, i'll be happy to answer them. That, that sort of also helps build up the personality of the the bad guy if they haven't met the bad guy yet um and uh this particular npc uh uh who is the the main villain is uh <laughs> one of my favorite creations to hate um that i hate basically uh he's this dampier witch you know uh who just got two pieces of art that make me want to punch him in the face so much why he's basically well, and he's his name a, is fantastic i, oh, I love the name balthazar quietus he's just it's such a oh i hate it so much but i also love it um and he's just this fancy foppy kind of like character that that is uh his, you know, the PCs might not remember his backstory, but the backstory I wrote for him is just that he, his dad wouldn't make him a full vampire, so he got mad about it, and it's just such a, such a whiny boy backstory that that just makes me cringe, but is also I think uh, oh it works for this this jerk. I loved him. I, the name is excellent. The artwork is really good. It's like it is the way you wrote his speech. It feels like it's you know obviously very different. This is an excellent. Again, this is this is one of my favorite adventures I've read in a long time. It mm-hmm. it just now it just weighs. It's well, you can hear. There's a lot of just. It's just very different, you know. It's like you're you're teaching ghost children, then you're solving jewelry shop puzzles, and then you're fighting undead gangs and exploding zombie insects and walls and rot grubs, and then you have to find an artifact and destroy it. There's just a lot of cool check boxes that you can be playing Pathfinder your whole life. And these just, you know, if you're lucky, if you see one or two things, you have like a dozen things that I just have never seen. And this is awesome. Thank you so much. I, I had a I had a lot of fun with this one. And then at the end, at the very end, probably the I mean, I couldn't believe it gets even better is that you I mean, this is a real big spoiler. I'm warning everyone. This is a massive spoiler. You run into the queen of Geb herself. That is awesome awesome i don't know what she has to do with this adventure but the fact geb is so quiet it's so little has been written about geb and it's a very fascinating part of the world and there's only like two society adventures that i know that even talk about geb it's very rarely talked about and here you're actually like the queen is kind of helping you out which is cool yep uh uh, rasny uh gets a bit of a uh change up in this adventure path uh She's not the, the exact person she was uh, before, uh, and uh, she's a, a fair driving force of what 
the PCs end up doing, and uh, they end up meeting her several times. And this is the this is the beginning. This is the first part where you actually see who she is. Um, and uh, uh, well, she doesn't reveal herself fully. I don't think she's just more mysterious no, she benefactor That's what I said. at this it's, point. It's a, yeah, it's a huge spoiler. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Too late now, uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's we're, like we're, she, we're past that spoiler point. No, we're way game. past that point. Yeah, but it's it's yeah. The PCs are not supposed to know who she is. She's just some mysterious, but she's twentieth level lich, eighth level uh, mercenary or something. Like she is very powerful, way way too powerful for the PCs. Yeah, she's she's mythic. She's mythic. Yeah, yeah, she's mythic. But just I love adventures where you get to converse and talk with some of the, you know, heavy hitters of the mythology of uh, you know, of Pathfinder or Starfinder. And not only is she a heavy hitter, but she's one of the most mysterious ones. And just the way she's presented is really cool because she's helping out the P. It's like an undead Lich Queen from Geb is helping out the PCs to destroy Tarbafon. What is going on? This is really a cool adventure path. She hates Tarbafon more than the living. Like she is, she just hates like like Tarbafon is responsible for her becoming a lich because she used to be Erasmus used to be a a good guy, a herald I think. Of not a, quite a herald, but a champion uh, of uh, one of the one of the good gods. Maybe I maybe I can't quite remember. But uh, so Erasmus just got like turned into this lich, sort of against her will, and she's been living all the, these centuries uh, as uh, and forced to be the queen of Geb, and just, she doesn't she doesn't want it anymore. And she's figured out a way to sort of like you know figure out what Tarbafon's plans are over the over the thing, and now she's just basically found some some people who can help her uh, get revenge on him. Yeah, she is. Uh, she's very well presented in this. It's just, it's just a lot going on in this adventure path. It feels like it's like this. I read this one. I was like, okay, this is one of those adventure paths where you could just run this one adventure and be done because there's a lot going on. It's just fun. It could even be like a bottle episode, a bottle adventure where you just like go in, save this town, and leave. And it can be run like that. It doesn't even have to be part of adventure path the way it's like set up and written. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot. Of, I think a lot of ways on, so, on many adventures you can kind of like pluck out, as long as you just sort of sever the connections that that the through lines from the other uh, to the other adventure pass, and maybe just run them by themselves. There is actually a a, a connection uh, to this adventure um, in a Pathfinder Society scenario. I can't remember the name of what it is, but they uh, it is takes place before this adventure path happens. One of the um, newer ones. It, it's newish. It's newish. It I think it's coming around around the same time. So you know, there's a there's this church that you're in uh, this that get that is corrupted by the whispering way. But before that, you know, it would sort of lay uh, empty for a long time because of this red reaver that came in and just sort of set up a nest. Which is, if you're not familiar with red reaver, it's a big red monster, uh, devil looking thing almost, just a beast uh, with with weird tiny little wings on its back. Anyway, the uh, Pathfinder Society scenario is about going in and, and taking care of that Reaver, which is way too high level for you, I think, for what tier you're playing it at. And then if you play this, play that through that, you, you, you eventually, if you succeed, you kill it. But the zombie version of that Red Reaver is in this adventure. But it's way less powerful. <laughs> when it's a zombie, it's way less powerful. So yeah, it's a fun connection. So I think we're kind of almost at the end of the spoiler part of this conversation are there any other spoiler specific things you want to talk about that occurred during the development of this adventure uh let me see i really enjoyed, enjoyed writing yeah yeah look at that we both yeah 
I enjoyed the uh, the uh, well after this is done uh, the uh, the piece of art that shows the um, PCs fighting themselves. Oh yeah, the art in here is really good. There's some really good art in here. You guys went all you guys went all out on this last adventure. Yeah, we're just you know, I think at this point we we've uh, figured out how to how to do these things and they're just putting all that to good use. Now we got to start all over, but we'll figure it out. I was just about to say it's like we finally figured it out. Now let's throw that all away and start over, shall we? You know, I think the uh, adventures are still going to be Pathfinder adventures. You know, we, 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 I think we've got the plotting and, and, and that sort of thing down pretty well. What about the maps? I always ask about the maps. How does the maps work for these adventures? You create them and then you give them off yeah. to the artists? Or? That's true. I sketch up some maps. Uh, generally, sometimes the developer might resketch them um, and then they get sent to a cartographer. It's pretty simple. I, well, you say it's simple, but I always look at these maps because you have some... You have a lot of maps in here because you have different sections of the town and they have to fit all that. And then you have the actual, I see, I heard, I see, I heard that, heard the, oh yeah, I have to actually make, cause you had to make a lot of maps. Like it's not like just one or two dungeons. Like you had all these little mini encounter sections. So there's like a dozen maps in this thing. Yeah. yeah, That's a trick. I kind of actually learned from Ron Lundin is to make a full page map that has like about. 10 tiny maps in it so you made like a full page map of the town and then just cut it up well no no yeah i mean like each of those uh, what you see on the one page where it has like a sort of overview of the entire town and then like eight or nine little mini encounter areas i literally drew it the way it looks so i didn't have to like i didn't think too much about where things i mean i did think about where things were but i didn't like draw them all out relative to one another and then cut them up and then rearrange them on the page i just sort of like what can fit where on this on this full page so what else is coming up for Mr. Jason Keeley? Now that we're done with this, what about the world of Starfinder? Because now we have, you're very busy working on those adventure paths, working on the Starfinder adventure paths. Yeah. Well, we're, we're wrapping up Dawn of Flame uh, in the offices. Uh, that should, you know, finishes off with a, with a bang. And uh, looking forward to the getting the first pieces of art and uh, and stuff for Attack uh, of the Swarm Adventure Path, which I'm very excited about where that's going. I'm about three, uh, four, six of the way through developing it. Um, so keep an eye on that for, for more information about that as it trickles out onto the uh, onto the Paizo product pages. And um, that kind of thing. Uh, I've got some Pathfinder 2 monsters in the bestiary uh, and the second volume of the adventure path that'll be out probably september uh that's fun that kind of stuff check it out check all that all that good stuff all the good stuff none of the bad stuff just the good stuff just the good stuff ignore the bad stuff what about uh pathfinder second edition from what i understand this is kind of leading up because eric's told me that the world stays the same like you guys are just like the world this adventure leads into what happens in second edition? Like it's a, they don't. There's no reset, but there's a lot of crazy things going on in this adventure path, to say the least. Yeah, there's no reset, but there are some some changes. We figured with after ten years or more of this setting, we could tweak things up. We we make some of the uh, endings to some of the first edition adventure paths kind of canonical, um, such as like War for the Crown and I think Wrath of the Righteous. We sort of like set those in stone uh, and. Um, change some 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 governments around change some some political borderlines around but in, in general it's you know still the same galarian and we're going to get into now think uh, uh, eventually sort of exploring some more stuff that we hadn't seen yet and i wanted to ask about a rumor if 
few comment on it. So different sections of the world are written by different authors so that those authors have to almost give sign off before, or they want the ones that to develop it. For example, Geb hasn't really been developed that much. I mean, what's it been 11 years and we've seen very little. Is it true just that we're just waiting for whoever wrote it to get their sign off on it so that they can develop it? Because it seems like one of the coolest areas that's still left in the world of Galarian. Yeah, there, there, there are a few people who we just want to make sure that are, you know, who, if they're still the company, want, want to get their sign off on, on some things. Um, but I think with second edition, we're, we're, we're starting to, we're starting to get in to some, some of those areas that we haven't seen too much. You'll, you maybe learn a little bit more in the, uh, with the first world guide that comes out also this August. That's true. What about you? Do you have any little areas, at least in Starfinder that are yours and only yours that no one else can touch? I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a thing that I wrote that's in the, uh, uh, back of the core rule book for like some of the extra worlds, uh, the uh, place called Ori, um, which is uh, a, a busted up bunch of uh, floating islands in, around a gravity well that and used to be this techno magical utopia, but they had a catastrophic accident. So that's kind of like my particular corner. I guess the uh, uh, home planet of the the Gibranis that I've written to Starfinder series is kind of my place. Hopefully, I can get to. Thirsty will let me go back there again for another adventure. Um, the Kish, too. Yeah, I guess the Kish are, the Kish are kind of my bet, uh, but kind of, you know, I like them. What's this thing with you and Floating Islands? That's the second one. That, that, that's that... a coincidence. Uh-huh. It's a weirdly coincidence that I was writing this scenario that takes place on a post-apocalyptic thing, you know, and they've forgotten who they were twice. I see a lot of similarities in the, and Floating Islands. Uh, have you been to Avatar World and Disney World? Because they have floating islands no, right here. I have not. No, well, maybe one day. Seems like it'd be right up your alley. You'd be looking at those floating islands and say, you know what? It gives me another idea for another adventure. Well, I would like to see, although that's actually what the Iron Gods was about. I was going to say, I want to see some dead technology in the world of Pathfinder, but you guys already did that. One of my favorite yeah. adventure paths ever. That was, I loved Loved that adventure path. Excellent adventure path. It was a good one. It was a good one. A lot of fun. So wait, when are we going to say the other way around? Are we going to have, because obviously people want to see that technology in the fantasy. When are we going to start seeing the fantasy in the science fiction? I mean, that's kind of what Starfinder is. It's science fantasy. There's a lot of magic floating around. You know, your Dawn of Flame adventure path has got a lot of kind of old school fantasy stuff happening in it with genies and that kind of thing playing a fire but it's still you know it's still got its uh, our own technological bent what about the swarm thing is this going to be like a major earth shattering change to the starfinder lore or is it just going to be a fun adventure path where you go and finally beat the bad guys or at least encounter I, yeah there's there's not going to be much uh i think uh not, we're not going to destroy anything that is central to uh starfinder just yet uh, but it is a, a you know, it's going to be a, a bit of a, it's going to be war, man. I'll tell you that much. War. What's it good for? It's good for six volumes of an adventure path. They, <laughs> that's that's War 3, although that was the Atlante throne, and that really wasn't a war. That was more like a skirmish. Yeah, that was more like a s- covert actions. By the way, how did that work out, the uh, the three version adventure paths? Was that a good experiment? Was it something that you guys were happy with? Can you talk to it at all? Or 
I mean, I'm happy with what they are and how they came out. And a lot of people on the forum seem to like them. I th- we still don't have a lot of the sales data yet, though. Say definitively whether or not there was a success or a failure. Or at least if we do, I haven't been told about it. And was Signal Screams everything you hoped it would be? Because wasn't that your baby? Wasn't that like old? It was my baby. That was my baby. It did come out pretty good, I think. Got a lot of a lot of good stuff in there. It's it's kind of almost three different horror adventures, three different you know subgenres of horror in in one AP. Yeah, it was very different because the uh, I mean I like both of them. The Atlante one, that one was cool because it felt like you know it had a very definite adventure path vibe. You know they started off and then they had this like mini adventure they went on as you said like a covert uh, uh, mission, and then the Signal Screams was just sort of chaos. <laughs> it felt like organized chaos, but boy, it was very chaotic. <laughs> it's good. It's sort of what it meant to be. So he's like, aha, were you confused? Were you terrified? Were you horrified? I meant to do that. Exactly. All right, Jason. Well, when are you coming back on the show? Everyone loves your detectives. Do you know that? that those just aired <laughs> on. A, a, they just aired. and Everyone loves them. I. In retrospect, I'm very upset. I only ran one play goose on you guys. I definitely should. We didn't have. Yeah, should have been two. Should have been two. I didn't have time. I didn't have time. I'm gonna do it again though. I'm gonna have to run you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have an army of them. I'm gonna have you guys show up. You'll be like eleventh level. Obviously, way too powerful for seven of them. I'll have twenty of them. I'll just have bowling ball alley. It's just like going crazy trying to hit you. <laughs> All right. Well, then to answer your question, I guess I'll be back on your show in six to eight years. What? <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to do that to me, I'm going to put it off as long as possible. Oh, I meant I meant two or three play good. You can kill them. No problem. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone loves the bumbling detectives. It's going to be suspicious at that point while we keep showing up. At these well, maybe maybe you're really the bad guys all along and you're secretly pulling the strings. That is not bad. I hope none of my players are listening to this. That would be good. You'd like that, wouldn't you? Like you yeah, and Rob, maybe. you and Rob being the big bads, you'd be good at it. That'd be fine. That would be fine. Yes. I'd have to look into that a little bit more. Or maybe you thought you were the big bads, but you're really like the uh, they're the guys that are just pinning everything on as you guys. So no, we're just the 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 uh, scapegoats. The passies. Passies. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, oh, it was all those two guys, those two bumbling detectives. We we didn't have any idea that we were going to destroy the universe. It was all their uh, their uh, genius idea. No one's going to believe that. No, it's true. But you never know. I never know. But I got to get you back on the show. Everyone loves you guys. Everyone loves uh, Meats and Lasco. If anything, we should have uh, we should do a side adventure with just meats and Lasco, but then we have to get two more. It could be like uh, meats and like what, what what could it be called? It's like Starsky and Hutch meats and Lasco. I don't know. You need another name for like the two uh, sidekicks that you'll have. Oh, so you okay. Can yeah, they're just they're 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 sidekicks. They don't their name doesn't need to be in the title. Oh, okay. So it's just uh, adventures of meats and Lasco, and then we'll have sure and meats and Lasco and friends and friends. For people who have no idea what we're talking about, the Dead Sons Adventure Path that we also run, Jason Keeley and Rob Tremarco frequently show up in weird places and help out the boys. And they um, they have some very funny characters, at least Meats. Meats is really funny. And Lasco is just sort of, uh, it's like Laurel and Hardy, kind of. Yeah, I get to be the, 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 uh, the, the straight man. 
I was going to say, do you even know what you are? Are you? Do you even know if you're the straight man or not? I can't. I'm the serious one. Right. You're the serious one with a pet squawk. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you forgot you have a pet squawks. They have one too. They each of you guys got pet squawks at the end of that adventure. All right. Well, hopefully you'll be on again soon, and then we could uh, talk about your next adventure path. What is? What have you written next that we're going to talk to you about? Um, I can't talk about it right now. Oh, fine, fine. He's got something coming up because Maybe. Jason always has to write something. There was a minute, there was a time there where you were, you were everywhere. You were always on Paizo, Twitch TV. Every interview was with you. Every book was by you. Every adventure path was by you. I don't know how you have time for it, man. I take big chunks of time and then I, and I take longer chunks of time not doing anything. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Jason. All right. Thanks for having me on. Goodbye. Hey, everyone. Steve here. So thanks again, Jason, for being on the show. I'm sure you'll be on the show many more times in the future. And for those of you new to Rule for Combat, please check out some of our other interviews that we've had on the show, as well as the Dead Sons Adventure Path. Right now we're giving away a free trip to PaizoCon, and the drawing is in less than two weeks. All you need to do is listen to episodes 70 to 76, answer some questions, fill out a form, and then you too can win a free trip to PaizoCon. Just check out the Roll for Combat website for full details. If you like to play Pathfinder or Starfinder, do check out the Roll for Combat Discord channel. We play both live games as well as play by Discord games. You can just go to discord.rollforcombat.com and then you can join the Discord channel and find out all about how you can either run games or join games. We have a lot of games going on there, usually about 40 to 50 at a time, so come on down. Otherwise, do subscribe to the Roll for Combat podcast. We usually have a minimum of one interview per month. And with the upcoming Pathfinder 2nd Edition, we're going to be having a ton of interviews with lots of Paizo people. As it's getting closer and closer to August, we're going to just have more and more interviews. And also, with PaizoCon being next month, we're probably going to have a whole bunch of interviews because I'm going to be at PaizoCon and all the guys from Paizo are going to be there. So I'm just going to walk around with my mic and just interview people left and right and see what information I can get. And then I'll put that all on the podcast. Anyhow, with that, thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys later.